Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I think this week is the week that the scenery collapsed, Andrew. That the facade was broken. That the mask slipped. Mm. Is this... Are you talking about Arsenal? Oh, I I mean, I might be. I think I'm more talking about us, though. Uh, Me in particular. The, The sense that this podcast has operated under the illusion um, that I'm some kind of like cultural guy. He's into art. I literally thought you were, <laughs> you were describing Arsenal and their title challenge, <laughs> but in your like, you know, you know how you are with words. Yeah. Uh, well, apparently I'm not that good with art and neither are you. No, no. We've taken quite the beating uh, since Monday's pod. And basically, I think an apology is due. Um, Something along the lines of uh, Pep Guardiola will apologize to Steven Gerrard, Alex and the family. But in this case, Pablo Picasso and his family and extended family and his estate for thinking that Guernica was Salvador Dali, which it Mm -hmm. was not. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've seen it before, too. That's the sad thing. Yeah. Like the, the real painting, Guernica. How would you would you describe our friend Fitz as a culture vulture? Um, or would you have thought of him before this week as a culture vulture? No, not not particularly. No, I would have described him as a bawdy Irish American Brooklynite. Yeah, sort of loud. Yes, um, with a poncho for mushrooms, bombastic. Yeah. <laughs> Straight talker, great Liverpool supporter, and a fun guy to be with, a guy I love dearly, but not an art critic. And he took us to school on Guernica and Picasso, as did you all out there. And so I would like to apologize. Um, I think now, instead of this kind of juxtaposition of Andrew being the regular guy and me being some kind of learned European, just call us weenie in the butt. We are, we are just two sides of the same coin. First of all, I don't know that I see myself as some kind of half-wit fool that's sort not, of just... Not that. But is you sort are of feeling an, around in the dark here. Andrew, you're the everyman white guy. You I, are. Uh, thank you? I mean, you've said it yourself. You like Look, your... I don't. I don't know art. I don't pretend. Well, I guess I did pretend to know it on the last <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so well, we, I, I apologize to to the Picasso estate. I mean, what is this apology for? We got it wrong. I confused Dolly, Dolly, D O L L Y, Salvador Dolly, <laughs> and Picasso. I think we should just lean into this. I think once a month we should just we should have a new monthly segment on the show. Uh, JJ and Andrew talk about art, uh, even though they know nothing about art. Therefore, infuriating art enthusiasts everywhere. Like we just uh, three minutes where we just kind of we we pick we designate a different painting each week and we kind of give our thoughts on it. Right. Let's start this week. Boom. Mona Lisa. Round faced chick. Looks a bit smug. Done. Eyes that follow you. In a creepy way. 
Yeah. Next week, Starry Night. Starry, starry night. Anyway, uh, apologies, guys, uh, because a lot of you were incensed. I, I like, love a lot of things culturally. Art, yeah. now I'm being totally honest now. Art is just one I, I've had a hard time connecting with. Maybe I haven't seen the right paintings. Again, I've 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 traveled abroad. I've been to some incredible art galleries. Is that what they call them? Uh, and like, I don't know. So I feel like I've seen the best, and it hasn't it hasn't really moved me. And that's not an. I'm not trying to offend artists who listen to this show. I'm not saying what you do isn't isn't quality work or incredible. I just for some reason I don't know. I just can't. I just can't connect with it. I'm not, I guess I am every man. I'm just not quite smart enough. Well, it's what I'm generally considered by some of the listeners as kind of arrogant and smug mm. and don't say, mm, don't say it like that. Um, but it's, it's unbelievable how self-important, uh, not self-important, uh, kind of grandiose they were and arrogant they were themselves. Like a lot of them said to me, how do you not know one of the most important works of art of the 20th century? All right, I did. I didn't know it. Yeah. Well, now we blew it. There's I can give you my top to five Radiohead songs, though. But don't try to make up for this. All right, you're done for this podcast. For just for today, you're a cultural fool, and that's okay. Every once I remember in a while. it's about two years ago. I called Alan Shearer on Twitter a philistine for not knowing a Shakespearean reference by Gary Lineker on Match of the Day, and he responded by torching our podcast to his like couple of million followers or whatever it is. The now, whole I'm podcast the... he torched? Oh, he did. He, yeah, he didn't like cuz I cuz I did what I shouldn't have done. I traded from the show account. Oh. <laughs> well, and old old fan fest Alan got very upset and uh and uh snapped back at me and uh now I'm the Philistine so. But, good for but, him. I guess we can't make fun of like Jack Relish anymore for not knowing what an encyclopedia is, things like that. I guess like are those days over now? Are we no better than him? It's funny. Little insight. I was in contact with uh, someone in the city. We call it the city firmament. The 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 Manchester City All orbit. Right. Orbit. Sure. And. Um, I asked, could is there what is the chances we can get Jack Grealish on? Because I think he's I actually think he's fascinating and funny and interesting. Yeah. And he gives really interesting interviews. And I was told, well, you're not a rights holder, so it's very unlikely to happen. And um, that's true. Yeah. But like Grealish would be Grealish would be the absolute the absolute dream, you know? That yeah. would be that's who I'd want. Yeah. But, well, let's use that as a jumping off point, JJ, to uh, one of the biggest, I guess, biggest performance or biggest moments of his Manchester City career so far as City on what you had dubbed Championship Wednesday. <laughs> uh, as Manchester City go to the Emirates and they come out of their 3-1 winners and they are now atop the table. It felt like just a minute ago they were, what, eight points back yeah. of Arsenal? But this little slip from Arsenal, which is suddenly not so little... Uh, has turned the tables at the top of the table quite a bit. What a game. What a game. It was a very good game. And, you know, cliches abound, a game of two halves. Uh, Arsenal very good, I thought, in the first half. Genuinely, City disjointed, suffering a little bit from pep brain, which Arsenal did not exploit. 
So Pep Guardiola set up a formation. God knows what it actually was meant to be. But folks, it, it meant that Bernardo Silva spent a lot of time in the left back position hacking at Bukayo Sacco. Oh, yeah. And the balls that were going into that channel between him, uh, Bernardo Silva and Ake, if they were better, if they were better, Andrew, you wonder, you wonder could it be another example where we're going, Pep overthought a big game again. And then I looked at the, just the, the, the whole first half and Arsenal, I think if, 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 if they could do one thing again, it would be in Ketty's header. Mm, yes. Which is a golden opportunity. And maybe, maybe we're seeing the limits. I mean, we gave Nketiah such praise for coming in and, and, and stepping up for a long period, but now the last few weeks hasn't been the case. He drew a penalty. He did draw. I mean, a penalty. it's not like he was a zero in this match. No, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm just saying he has to score that if they're going to win the game, and they needed to have more than the one goal going into the second half. Give credit to City. Pep decided to to fix his error. Uh, got a Kanji in, got Mares off, and got Silva further up the field. And their press was so much better in the second half, and Arsenal really struggled with it. Like really struggled with it. Now. It doesn't mean Gabriel shouldn't play a better pass when he coughs it up that time. He absolutely should. But the pressure that was on Arsenal's back four, Arsenal did not create it enough in the second half. And um, and that was all she wrote, Andrew. It was it was kind of scary. It it seemed like Manchester City clicked into gear, and it seemed like Arsenal um just weren't weren't quite up to it. Uh, no, they weren't. You uh, you posed the question as to whether or not this was, quote, the, the mark of a champion in a performance like this from Manchester City. Um, I know it's kind of cliche. I know some people might roll their eyes at it, but I kind of say yes for that. Big game, on the road, tied in the second half. Um, after a first half where they were up against it, they made the right adjustments. The moment wasn't too big for anyone. On that team, their best oh. players stepped up and were decisive in the win. I kind of think that that's, I sort of think that those are like all of the boxes you would check for if you were going through what the mark of a champion is. I kind of think that those are, those are the things. Yeah. Um, and they did it, you know, this win was a little bit different for them because they did it in a, in a not so city type of way. Opta Joe tweeted, Manchester City had just 36% possession in their win at the Emirates, the lowest in a league game for a team managed by Pep Guardiola in his top flight managerial career. Wow. 36% possession for city and they score three goals. Yeah. Huh? but I, Who is I this? Think, I, yeah. I think we need to analyze. I mean, two of those goals were from turnovers where city quickly pounced. And in, in, in the first, in the case of the opening goal, they pounced incredibly quick. So when I first started watching live football, going to watch like Rovers, are you suggesting fo- that that the new version of Pep is a high pressing counter attacking style of of football? <laughs> no, I I think things weren't good in the first half, yet they they were, you know, skillful enough and aware enough to capitalize on Tommy Asu's mistake and score a goal, and things were better in the second half, and they and they forced mistakes and scored goals, you know. I mean, the second, they were all turnover goals, every single one of them, just at different phases. Um, but, but just going back to Tommy Asu, like I felt, I don't know why, it's not like I have this kinship with him, but I felt so bad for him. 
I felt terrible for him. Maybe it's because he's a good, good player. But when I first started watching football, Andrew, going to Sligo Rovers, there was a fullback. And if he had his, if he was being pressured from behind and there was a ball in behind him, didn't matter if it was bouncing, didn't matter whatever, he'd kick it into the stand, get turned, face the play, and, and set up defensively for the throw-in. Every single time. He never tried to play it back in field. And Tommy Asu doing that with the ball at that height, I, you could see it coming. Now, the thing I want to add is De Bruyne's finish. Yeah, let, let's talk about it. Oh, for God's sake. We're on about art. We're on about Guernica. De Bruyneica. Just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And his awareness. He had a quick look. He saw where Ramsdale was. Now, there's, there's an argument where if, if Ramsdale stays at home, I mean, that's not going in. I mean, well, if he stays at home, De Bruyne doesn't make the decision to do that. The whole play is different. He might score, but in a different way. He carries it. Yeah. But it's, it's, he wraps his foot around it, whips it around it on the bounce and into the net. That's a gorgeous goal. The work of an artist. He is, he's just fabulous. When he's, when he's right, he hasn't been all season long. No. So he he wasn't at the World Cup either. No. And so, like, you couldn't help but start to wonder. Well, maybe this is sort of a as De Bruyne goes, City goes. He's he's been the engine for them for this era. He's not having his best season. Maybe that's why they're struggling. Well, they they've managed to stay in the race um, despite Arsenal playing at another worldly level for much of the season, and despite De Bruyne not being the best version of himself. But now he's. I mean, he was. This was him in this game on Wednesday. He was spectacular on that goal. You know. I don't know. It was one of those with the way Ramsdale was racing out with where the ball was. I I was kind of half expecting to see him try to round the keeper, but he just has so much confidence in himself that he just, he sees it differently. He just kind of immediately read the situation, thought, no, 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 the, the, my best way of scoring here is to just, it was it a chip. What would you call that exactly? Um, A lob, a lob. I think a lob, a chip. I, I like to think of a chip. It's on the ground. You apply the force to clip it up. So a clip, a chip, a lob, it's bouncing and you and you, and you make the most of it. Um and then obviously my the one I talk about a lot from the World Cup, um, the scoop that Cameroon scored where it's dead on the ground and you lift it with your foot. It was ah, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. And yeah. and, and I felt terrible because I thought Arsenal were that was a really good period of Arsenal play, right, leading right into that. And you're like, no, no. Um but they did respond. It was one one after uh, after a penalty was called uh, a somewhat controversial penalty. It's um, co- can I just say it's controversial, Andrew, because we don't see it enough. But when we don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's a wrong call. This is just something that goalkeepers, because of, I mean, the goalkeepers have a stronger union than anyone. They've been getting away with stuff for years, and this has been one of them. That's a foul anywhere else on the field, and it's a penalty in the box. What are we talking about here? Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. You know, it was interesting because um, on the broadcast, Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon were at odds over it. Yeah, they, I mean, were. they were in clear disagreement as to whether it was or it wasn't. I think it was Graham Lasso who was kind of more of the opinion. He got the shot away. His shot was in no way impacted by the contact. Uh, so what's the big deal? Whereas Lee Dixon was kind of saying, well, if the same thing happens anywhere else on the field, a player who just kind of storms in late and makes that kind of contact, it's a foul every day. Um, I tend to be on the Lee Dixon side here. 
And we've talked about this for years on the show about the onrushing goalkeeper and how all bets are off when they come flying out of the goal and no one seems to care. Um, so for them to be kept in check every once in a while, I don't think it's the worst thing because it, it can be not in this case, but there are moments where it can be potentially dangerous that these guys can just kind of fly around with players who aren't necessarily ready for them. Um, so look, I don't know. I kind of fell along the lines of if they called it, I was good with it. If they didn't, I get it. It oftentimes doesn't get called. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. Maybe Arsenal fans or maybe city fans had a problem with it. Um, but I, I could see it both ways and I was fine with it, whatever the decision was that was made. And by the way, whatever the decision was made on the field, to me, it was un, the call should be unchangeable in VAR. That's just a, a pure subjective decision. And, and sure enough, that's how it played out. Yeah. Um, we have to challenge ideas of just because we've seen these not given for, for years, decades, doesn't mean that those were the right decisions. Yeah. Um, and, um, and Ederson's been asking for this forever, (laughs) forever. Yeah. He's a, he's a multi-time offender when it comes to that. Um, so one, one at the half. Looked like we were setting up for a, a fantastic second half, and that was very much the case. Manchester City second. So we talked about Grealish um, at the at the start of this. Let me ask you a question, because uh, I know you've you've been outspoken about his time at Manchester City so far. Whether or not, as, was... as has Jack Grealish. All right, easy. No, no one's coming down on you. It's all right, baby. Relax. Don't oh the baby thing. You got to so stop that. He um. But like I was saying, you've been somewhat outspoken about it. He apparently has also been outspoken about it, that it hasn't quite – was he the right guy to for a, for a city to spend all that money on? Um, did they need him? Uh, so it hasn't – his time there just hasn't necessarily been maybe what some of us thought it would be. So, and then this happens. In their biggest game of the season, on the road, in a tie yeah. game, in the second half, he comes up and and scores a hugely important goal. And – I wonder, like, sometimes players like this who made a name elsewhere and then go to a club, sometimes it's hard for them to connect right away uh, with him. Is this like, is it a weird thing to say that, like, this is the moment he became a, a Manchester City player? Hmm. Um, that was certainly the way that the the question was put to him. Um you know, was 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 this the the, the biggest goal now in, in the campaign? And remember how set... close he was to having him in the Champions League. It was taken I off mean, the line. I mean, the Real Madrid game where he had those two chances where um, Courtois stopped him. Like that could have been. That really felt like it was his moment. And God knows it. It wasn't for the lack of trying. There was no fault there. He just came up against an immovable object yeah. in in Courtois, who made two brilliant saves. But but I, I think that would have been the coming out party for him. Yeah, this this is really good. Like, I mean, he starts at this point now, he starts 57, 60% of the time um for Manchester City. But his big thing is, you know, he wanted to be more involved. He want he basically wants more goals and assists, Andrew. And right now he sat on three goals and three assists in the Premier League so far. And you know, in, in a team that operates the way uh, Manchester City do often a player like him will get the ball to advance it so far and then he's going to pass the ball inside back to someone else you know it's not it's not like Villa where he's going to take it on the halfway line and, and, and try and beat four or five players to get a free kick to bring the team down the field it's not like that but he's been frustrated with it like um, he's not I suppose 
again, he just wanted to be more involved. Um, is this potentially could be one of those moments where, yeah, you can look back at it and say that was when, when Grealish kind of burst forth for City and, and became a real player for them. But um, I, w- I would say to you, Andrew, with the way Pep Guardiola operates, with the rotation that they use, with the amount of talent they have in the squad, he will never be the main man there. He will never be. Um, Meaning what? He he won't be what De Bruyne has been for them. Yeah, he'll be what he'll be what Mares. He'll be what Jesus was. He'll be what Gundogan is. I think he can be more than what Gabriel Jesus was. I don't think he will be. I think he'll. I think he'll be a guy who 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 you'll have great memories of him doing certain things. Like if you look at all those city players, Andrew, every one of them, you can point to a time where they did this or that where, Oh, that was an important moment. That was an important. That's just the way that's the nature. It's a city. Aren't so much a team as an absolute squad. And, and while that rotation continues, um, like he'll never be Martin Odegaard for Arsenal. It won't be. It's not going to happen. And, and that's not an indictment. That's just the reality of the way uh, Manchester City are built. There are so many players, so many guys who will come in and are of a quality to to contribute at different moments. And not all you're just not Pep Guardiola's ability to have a player start for like twenty five games, and you think, oh, he's absolutely integral. And the next thing you know, he's out of the squad for he's, for a he's lot. Joe Cancelo. He's Joe Cancelo. Well, look at Bernardo Silva. Look at Riyad Mahrez. Gundogan as well. They're just, it's its its far more, it's far more of a squad effort, of a team effort. Just like Guardiola, like, doesn't like a number nine, or we were led to believe he doesn't want a, a you know, 40 goal season man. He believes far more in, in, in a team ethic. Um, and, and that's just the way it will be for Grealish. Yeah. Under other circumstances, I would say, yeah, but they paid all that money for but him you would different. think he'd be given every opportunity to become that guy but i don't know that that applies in this situation i think i i tend to lean more towards your side of it i think pep is given total freedom to do what he pleases with this team and oh, I, don't I think, think so too i don't think anybody and it, and why shouldn't he <laughs> you know i'd say that it's worked out for them all right yeah they'd like to have a champions league and maybe there were moments with some of those decisions where pep probably it might have helped them for somebody to say something to him but for the most part this has been extraordinary so you know keep keep going the way they've been going um and then the third goal that put it away the pass from de bruyne the touch from holland um to yeah. settle that that ball was kind of that was hit to him at, at a rate of speed and his first touch he just cushioned it so perfectly bang right into uh the side netting um, pep's comments afterwards on holland's performance it was brilliant one of the best uh, we should play more that way with him. We have to be more direct, not with a long ball, but with a pass. What does that mean? Can you translate that? Yeah. Um, have him come alive like that in the box with quick passing. The pa- Basically, Andrew, all the passing is done, get into the box, and it's a pass in the box, and have him do the quick shift of his feet and score, yeah. as opposed to you get the ball on the edge of the center circle, and... and, and... <laughs> Holland wants to stretch his legs and he's gone and there's a gap there. Don't play it. Pep doesn't want that ball because Pep wants control. He doesn't want chaos. He knows, I mean, his basic philosophy is if you play the ball too quickly, if the buildup is too quick and you lose it quickly, then you are at a massive disadvantage on the counter. So he didn't want that. 
um and and basically um that really that's a really revealing comment that that's what he wants from Holland not a fox in the box but like a really really good player with quick feet in the box who can score maybe he doesn't want to see him like there were so many games where you're like early on they're not passing to him that passes on he's going to absolutely scorch that center back just give him the ball pep doesn't want that boy it, there are t- a guy like de bruyne who can play that pass whenever yeah. he wants it must be so hard for him sometimes to suck it back and and not go for it when he sees Holland getting ready to make that run. <laughs> and it's know. again, it's kind of against the intuition of the game. But um, but no, control is more important. Uh, yeah, and again, it it seems to work for them more often than not. No question about it. Uh, what about Arsenal? Yes. You know, this. Uh, I mean, you and I the other night we kind of did that little that little exercise on the podcast where we on the count of three without having asked each other ahead of time, name the team that you think is going to win the title. We both said city. We can both feel the way that this was going. This was before this game had happened. Um, And Arsenal's wobble now is turning more into a full scale fall. City are ahead now uh, tied on points ahead on goal difference. Arsenal do have that game at hand. They do play city again. So it's still, I mean, look, it is still up for grabs. This is, this is a, brilliant title race it's it's there to be won by either of them maybe even manchester united if uh if united fans want to be considered a, a contender in this as well wash your mouth out young man <laughs> they wouldn't be my pick but i'm just saying it yeah, no, they, right. they might have been played back into this a little bit by arsenal uh faltering the way that they have um and so i i would say our position has only been emboldened by what happened over the course of this game it just i don't know it just were, were we wrong? Like, was everyone wrong to have been so in on Arsenal? And I, I, we could be made to feel foolish if Arsenal gather themselves and City then have some kind of slip up between now and the end of the season. But just, just knowing what City are, the machine that they are, looking at this Arsenal team for however good they are, they were fifth last season. It always felt like that was going to be a really, really big jump to make in just one year to go from fifth to what they were doing. I mean, they were playing, they were basically playing at a Manchester City win rate without being City, without being anything even close, talent for talent, what Manchester City are. That's not an offense to them. They were, you know, that that's admirable what they've been when what they've been able to do so far this season. Was this always bound to happen? Okay, a couple of things. They've been playing badly for about a month now. Haven't been good. Um, so coming into the Man City game, you know. The timing of the Queen's death was really selfish in terms of Arsenal. They needed to play City when they were in form. Um, all jokes aside, not having party for this game was huge because when he plays, they win, and when he doesn't play, they they actually lose. So he's really important to the side, but they were in a bit of a funk. Um, you know. They were they looked so poor against Everton, you were like you started to worry. And remember I said last week, I said, All right, they've got to get a good win against Brentford to carry them into this week, and they never. So that's um that's part of it too. Here's one, Andrew, from um the Anfield rap. Neil Atkinson. It gives uh, Liverpool being so bad, gives Liverpool a chance to opine on other people. But this I think this is a good tweet. 
I think there will be the desire to act as though this Arsenal side has in some way buckled because of pressure, because everyone likes that sort of thing. They just look shattered and everyone has played them once now. Everyone has the video and north of 90 points is rock hard. Like it's hard to keep up the pace they were doing as yeah. as that as that young Callow team you talked about, and and that's why they were so anxious to get um, Mudrick in, so anxious to get uh, Trossard and Jorginho in to get reinforcements in, because it's very very tough. Um, Sam Maguire he tweeted out. Um, let me just get it up again. Oh yeah, <laughs> today. The league table after 26 games in 1920, the year Liverpool won the championship. And he tweeted, I don't think I'll ever not find this funny. Liverpool were top after 26 games, 25 wins and one draw, 46 goal difference, 76 points. City were in second with one game less on 51. (laughs) You know, this is the kind of pace you have to set out to have if you're going to beat Manchester City. Liverpool, a far more accomplished and seasoned side, went into two title races, um, 18-19 and last season, you know, the one-point seasons. Look at the pace. Look at the things they had to do. And they had a far more battle-hardened squad than Arsenal. Yeah. The question was going to be, A, could Arsenal keep up that pace? which I, I think even the most ardent Arsenal supporter said, yeah, that's going to be tough. So to me, the even bigger question was the thing that we talk about all the time, how you know these great teams, they go through cycles. We're seeing kind of maybe the transition of one right now for the Liverpool team that you were talking about. Maybe this would be one for City. Maybe this would be, you know, one of those years like when Leicester City, you know, Man City were down then, Chelsea were down then. It was a cycle for some of those teams that they were coming out of. It allowed somebody else to sneak in and and do something historic. Maybe this would be one of those times. City have been just going so hard for so many years now. Maybe this would be a year where they take a step back and, and somebody else like an Arsenal could do it. And I think we're finding out right now, well, if you thought that, not so, not so fast. This team is just built different. They're just different. Um, you know, the other thing we talked about, too, was Arsenal and sort of their inability to freshen this squad up. They've kind of found their 11. Now, I know, like you said, they did bring in a couple players who were important during the window. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of know who they are and they're going to ride that out. Um, looking at Sky Sports, JJ, they had an article about this. I think it was Nick Wright. Um, Arsenal have made 16 lineup changes this season. Okay, so let's put that in perspective. What does that mean for the rest of the league? It's it's not even close. They are that is so far and away the fewest of anyone in the mm-hmm. league. Newcastle are the next closest at 23 lineup changes so far this season. By the way, at the other end of this, Chelsea have the most 79 lineup changes this season. <laughs> All right? Manchester City fourth most at 54 lineup changes. Arsenal just 16 this whole season. And so how does that translate to what they're doing on the field? Well, Nick Wright, he expounds on that. He says in each of the last three games, Arsenal opponents have outrun them by an average of more than three kilometers, something which only happened once in the first five games after the World Cup break and only five times in the 14 games before that. I don't know. maybe, Maybe people out there believe in coincidences. I would say that there's there's probably some deeper meaning to that statistic that this team might 
some of that the what they were able to do early in the season. A lot of these guys also, you know, these are great players. They went off most most of them and played at the World Cup. I don't know that I just don't know that's sustainable without freshening up the squad, especially at this kind of frantic pace that this calendar is this season. Yeah. Maybe we're seeing that. We are seeing that. And um, like, how can they account for, like, I don't think it's the wrong thing to do. He's found a team, he's found a system that works and he can't deviate too much from it. And, but, you know, invariably that is going to make you run out of steam a bit. And it's not like, again, like I said, battle hardened. This isn't the, this is their first rodeo. They haven't been close to this in forever. So, um, I'm really curious how this plays out for the rest of the season for Arsenal because I'd love if they can push City all the way, take them all the way. Um, I'd love if they could win it, but uh, yeah, it was um, it was one of those games where you're like, not so much a reality check because they weren't destroyed, they weren't hammered. No, but that's that's that second half was kind of oh god, look look what look how City have come out, look how City rectified mid game. Pep's error, which he did say it was a completely stupid thing to do, uh, to set up the team. His quote was amazing. Yeah, he said um, Guardiola, when asked what had frustrated him before the break, my tactics because I tried something new and it was horrible. (laughs) In the second half, we were more like we are. Yeah, I love that guy. I just enjoy his uh, just the whole his whole way about him. I'm I'm a Pep guy. Yeah, he's. I mean, he seems so much. When you think how prickly and and combative he was in the last few days, then when he went down to the uh, NBC table with uh, with the guys to chat on the sideline after the win in his hoodie and his jeans, just a relaxed dad, you know, just a guy, you know. Hey, the kids are in bed. I'm gonna smoke a joint. Just just chill out and put on some, you know. I don't know what would Pep listen to listen to FX Twin. Just put on some Aphex Twin and just, you know, stare at the stars. Like, real chilled out compared to the spiky character he has had to be in defending his club. So there you go. City now back on top of the table. Uh, the title race is, it is fully on. This was a chance for Arsenal to give themselves a little bit of a cushion again, and they did not take that chance. And so now it's it's going to be tough. There's no question about it. Um, where do we go from here, JJ? I know the Champions League, of course, is the Champions League, but there was a there was a pretty significant Europa League match today with uh, Manchester United and Barcelona. I'll let you, I'll let you choose our own adventure here. Which way are we going? Uh, you know what, Andrew? I think you're right. I think we should forego uh, the Champions League. Uh, well, not forego it, but change it in its in its order, and go to the new camp, the Spotify wow. new camp. This is this is wild. This is like the time this... you tried to tell me that a. Uh, what was it? A quarterfinal Liverpool Dortmund Europa League match was bigger than a Barcelona Atletico Madrid semifinal. Yeah, in the Champions yeah. League. Yeah, I said that was the biggest game uh, in Europe. I uh, still think today on the on the Mount Rushmore of bad JJ Devaney takes, I think that one that that's George Washington. You know what? I invite the animals on Reddit. I invite everyone on Twitter at CO Soccer Pod. Yeah. To um. To, to curate a list of my worst takes. Okay. At CO Soccer Pod, uh, at Caught Offside Pod. On right, the, that was the quarterfinal, wasn't it? Liverpool-Dortmund? It was, Europa. It was, yeah. yeah. So that quarterfinal, bigger than Atletico-Barcelona Champions League semifinal. Yeah, 
Absolutely. It was the biggest game and it was the best game in Europe that week by by a significant margin, if you if you care to remember the games. Best and biggest are two different things. Uh yes. It was both. <laughs> and are you sure not I'm not more. referencing in that same Europa League run, Liverpool going to the final, beaten by Sevilla? Yeah. Um are you sure I'm not referencing Manchester United? I'm pretty sure you're getting that arseways that it was Manchester United versus Liverpool in that Europa League run. No, it was it was their comeback against Borussia Dortmund. Okay, all right. Well, that was uh, that was a bigger a bigger and best game, biggest game in Europe, best game in Europe. I stand by it. Please uh, tell me my other things that I've got hideously wrong. Mount Rushmore, um, Mount Rushmore. Okay, but anyway, let's go to the Spotify New Camp brought to you in association with Skrillex. And um, <laughs> it was a, actually it was hugely entertaining. What a game! I and mean, the even first, the, fir- the first half was nil nil, but the first half was still breathless. It was it was great stuff too. Yeah, it really was. Um, two sides going for it. Um, just enough errors in both sides to create create a lot of fun. And Vout Veghorst, Vout Veghorst, who was this year, this time last year, what was Vout Veghorst doing? Battling relegation with not the manager that signed him, a different manager. Well, actually, it would have been Sean Dyche at this point. Not scoring for Burnley as Burnley headed for the championship. Now look at him. He's in the new camp as the center forward for Manchester United playing Barcelona. It's it's wild. It's a mad, mad game. But it was it was really, really great. Um we should we should talk about the goals really, because there was four of them. Um the first the, the first Barcelona goal, Alonso nodding at the back post. He's another guy that if you don't like pay attention a lot. He's a great survivor. I mean, he was he signed for Chelsea from Sunderland for Chelsea. Like it seems like twenty five years ago, um, and he's he was there forever, and now he's at Barcelona. But uh, it was terrible marking by um, I think it was Fred. Fred, yeah, never got yeah, off. Juan Bissaka could see it. He didn't go and attack it because he was picking up someone else, and it's nodded into the net. But almost almost immediately, uh, Rashford, a uh, really good ball by the aforementioned Fred, I think it was, and. Um, Beats Ter Stegen at the near post. Don't know what you thought of that one, Andrew. I thought it was a really good strike, albeit a keeper of Ter Stegen's quality should be saving that, right? Both both of those goals were near post. Like, good finishes, but also just, you know, any kind of near post situation like that from a bet, from a tough angle, which both of them were, you kind of think keepers like De Gea and Ter Stegen should probably be doing a little bit better. I, I don't so. want to take away from them too much. I mean, these guys did a good job just to get their efforts on goal, especially Rashford with much, was a, as much velocity as he was able to put on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it set up, you know, it was the, the response from Manchester United said a lot about them on the road in that kind of environment going down like that after playing well in the first half, you could, you could hang your head a little bit, but the, not that guy, not no. now Marcus Rashford. I was talking to somebody today, who's a Manchester United fan when that game ended. And, you know, we've had this conversation before about other players. um, And so I'll ask it now about Rashford, not saying he's the best player in the world. Okay. Uh. So don't confuse what I'm saying. What I am going to say is on form right now, I don't think there's anybody better than him in Europe. It's every game. And the sample size is now large enough where you, I think you can say something like that. It's not a flash in the pan. This is his, this is his season now. Like this would, is this is what his season is going to be. A hundred percent. Now we've given him we gave him his flowers on Monday, so I don't want to really go over this again. But I will say one thing: for 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 as well as he played, he would love to have that chance at the end back where he just slashed at it. 
he had more time in the ball. He could have shot across the goalkeeper and he whips it into the side net. That was um that was poor finishing all day. He had a great game. But what he did to Rafinha for the for the Kunde own goal, I mean, just destroyed him. Absolutely destroyed him. Now Rafinha didn't cover himself in glory. His his positioning was all wrong. He was too square. He probably just didn't think that that was going to happen. He couldn't react, but he burned him, absolutely burned him, and then drilled it, did the right thing, drilled it in the box. And then uh, Revenge of Rafinha, and I'm sure there was a few people in the white part of of Yorkshire cheering for that. Um, He whips in a ball. Lewandowski kind of jumps over it, and Varane, unfortunately, does the same thing, and it goes straight into the net, and uh, and it's 2-2. But um, that was a brilliant game. It really was. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it sets up a great second leg uh, in this one. I know that there was there was controversy in this. It's funny. It was one of those games um, where, at the end, both managers Complained. were furious with the referee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where, like, sometimes you'll get, like, um, you know, like a political commentator who will show, oh, you know, people on the right hate me people on the left hate me so i must be doing something right i don't know that that applies to officiating like if both teams hate you it might just mean that you're not good it might just mean that you that you had a really <laughs> horrible day and it's funny because i mean the flashpoints that i think about obviously the big one was rashford uh the ball i'm trying to remember who it was that played it to him um i can't remember now but a brilliant pass was played to rashford length of the field pretty much uh, gets by the defense, and now he's pretty much 1v1 with the keeper, and Kunde fouls him just outside the box, and nothing. Like, I don't know. Like, Marcus Rashford, he's not just going down there, and that's what he said after the game. He said, why would I go down there? Like, he's mm-hmm. about to be, you know, maybe he's heading towards a bit of a tough angle, and Kunde is making up ground, but, like, he's going to try to score a goal there. He's in that kind of form right now. He's not going to just take a dive in that situation. Something obviously happened. He was fouled. It should have been a foul just outside the box and Kunde should have been sent off. I mean, that was, that was how I saw that. And I, I don't know. I think, I think they got that blatantly wrong, but like for however mad they want to be about it. I thought in the first half when Bout Veghorst found himself one V one with the keeper, it wound up getting saved by Ter Stegen. But like, yeah. to me, there was a clear foul in the buildup. And Barcelona stopped. They stopped playing. Now that's their fault. You got to play till the whistle. Yeah, like that is ultimately on them. But they all stopped for a reason because there was an obvious foul that wasn't called, and it led to Veghorst going on one on one, and and it got saved. They were Barcelona were fortunate to be let off the hook, and their keeper did a good job. But like, so it it was it was bad for both teams. I know United fans are really mad about that Rashford incident. Sure. And yeah, being Barcelona being down a man from that point forward would have been obviously you know, altered this entire matchup. Um, but it was bad both ways. I, w- yeah, I would that, say that. Yeah, sure. But now looking at the second leg, though, it's so set up because without the away goals, it's it's even. You yeah. know, it's it's not like United. I mean, that would have been a tremendous result in the old days. United going with two away goals back to Old Trafford. But now it's just, it has the potential of another classic on the cards. So, yeah. Yeah, great watch for anyone, and I know a lot of people. Once the Champions League done is done on a Wednesday, you know they they keep an eye on the Golazzo show, or they they don't always engage with a game. But that one was well worth your time. Yeah, that was a fun one, no question about it. Uh, so two two as it heads back to um, Old Trafford for that second leg should be great. Um, now, all right, now we'll f- get to the Champions League. If we must, JJ. Um, 
Got to start, I think, with PSG and Bayern. One nil, Bayern go to Paris, and they come away winners. Kingsley Coleman, his goal uh, separates the two after this one. One where he did not celebrate, not even a little bit. JJ, no, don't no, even think about it. He was a he's a Parisian. He will stay a proud Parisian. He he wouldn't do it. It was one of the great non celebration celebrations. Yeah, right up there with Lampard scoring for City against Chelsea. Yeah, although not quite the same connection between the two clubs, uh, or the player and the club, but nevertheless, um. Yeah, it was. I suppose it wasn't really curious, but like PSG did not look good for most of this game, and then Mbappe comes on, and they have like a whole raft of chances that they don't take. And it like he's just key to the whole thing. I mean, as good as Messi is, and you know, as as good as Neymar can be, I mean, when he comes on, that pace, the way he destroys players, the way he just beats one guy, and all of a sudden, everything, every possibility is on in the box. He's amazing. Um, yeah. He is amazing. This one is just, you know, you often say, oh, it's half time," and that's another cliche that we have in European football over two leg games. But this is very much has that halftime feel about it. Um, I'm so I, glad I, that not that I'm rooting for or against anyone in this one. I genuinely don't care. Just from a pure watchability standpoint, I'm so glad that it ended the way that it did. I like watching PSG when they have no choice but to try and just bomb forward and get yeah, goals. I like that, so. and, and now they have that's what they have they got to go on the road against Bayern. Like it's going to be open. Bayern are great, so they'll have chances too because PSG will be exposed at the back. I presumably if Mbappe was able to give him 30 minutes in this one, I'm sure he'll be able to go 90 by the time we get to the next one. I can't wait for it. I really think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um yeah, like we said it's 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 very much a half time Part of me just really wants another. Uh, I want PSG like to go two 0 up in the in in the away leg and then lose three two just for the implosion. <laughs> There's nothing like it, nothing yeah. like it. Especially um, with especially with the rumors today about Neymar, about uh, the Qataris talking to um, to Todd Bowley about a Neymar move to Chelsea. Just boy, Chelsea, they're just going to keep going down this road, aren't they? I mean, it's Todd's plaything now. I think we can be. How much can... money does he have? We're on about, you know, the Qataris and the Saudis. What about the Bowleys? He's his own nation state. This is wild. Uh, yeah. And uh, how do you um, how do you explain that? I mean, how much amortization does it take to be able to get this done? How much uh, long-term contracts and front-loaded and back-loaded contracts does it create to, to do that? But anyway, that's unless, just... A... Unless Neymar's value has come down simply because he's on the other side of 30... I don't know exactly what kind of shape he keeps himself in, which is mm. the next thing that I wanted to get to here. Uh, and maybe Uh-oh. there's just a, a desperation for PSG to get rid of him that Chelsea can exploit, what? given how, given Mbappe's seemingly frosty relationship with Neymar. If PSG want to hang on to Mbappe, which is the right choice, uh, then they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to bend over backwards to keep him. And getting rid of Neymar, I, I think, would be tops on that list. Have you seen, JJ, the latest between Mbappe and Neymar? No. Okay. So, um, there seems to be a little bit of stuff kind of bubbling up between them again. So Mbappe, they were talking about after this game, talking about the second leg and um, Mbappe, he stressed the importance of players eating and sleeping well. And it was, it's basically, it's kind of been assumed that he was talking about one guy. Uh, the full quote, he said, we work day and night, Mbappe said after the game, our players have to be in good health for the return leg. Everyone needs to eat and sleep well. They're not comfortable when we play attacking football. Uh, so 
if it wasn't if you weren't sure maybe who Mbappe was talking about, uh, Neymar seemed to to have an idea who he thought Mbappe was talking about because then that very night Neymar was seen out at the Eating European a salad. Club. He was no no quite the opposite. I think it was a bit of a middle finger to Mbappe. He was seen out late at the European Poker Tour in Paris. Then after that at a McDonald's. I mean, which seems to fly very much like you're you're Neymar. You could eat absolutely anywhere. You could get a table at any hour in any restaurant in that city. Mbappe has just talked about the importance of eating well. Like that is, I, I don't know. Am I reading too deeply? No, into it to say that's a middle uh, finger to Mbappe. I'll eat cl- wherever I want, whenever I want. That's clearly uh, I'll do whatever I want kind of thing. And what's the not- what's the most unhealthy meal I can eat right now to show this guy up? Unless it's unless it's like a Paul Gascoigne before the World Cup in '98, where Glenn Hoddle goes, you know, Gaza's in our thoughts. Uh, we're looking at Gaza, and uh, you know, he's got to be fit. He's got to be ready, and he's got to be fit. And literally two days later, the tabloids snap Gascoigne eating a kebab at like two a.m. So I don't know. Jeez. Yeah, wouldn't it have been amazing if if <laughs> if Neymar goes right? Get all the press corps together. Have me at a gym and then follow me to a salad bar afterwards. That's not his style. New. He'd be more likely to say, "Okay, gather the press corps together as I as I down this jar of fluffer nutter." <laughs> anyway, uh, this relationship. I mean, if it if it could work, if it work when it works on the field, it's. I mean, God, it's such a joy to watch. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they didn't score. It wound up one nil. Uh, Byron might be thinking the same thing. They might feel a little bit fortunate to have gotten out of there. One nil winners. Lord knows PSG had their chances. Uh, Mbappe, they had the goal that was ruled offside in the buildup, which I, I know people were upset about. Oh, look how close it was offside. Like he, he was offside. Multiple body parts were offside. Like I, I know, Oh, was it molecular? I don't know. I was generally okay with that one. Yeah. Um, so not, not a huge deal for me, but then Messi had a chance, which got deflected um, around the goal. Uh, it was they they put on the onslaught and it was fun to watch and maybe we'll get 90 minutes of that in the return leg back in Munich should be fun. Um, let's see AC Milan and Tottenham JJ um, one nil Milan. I'll I'll cede the floor to you on this one Andrew. I just have a quick turf talk comment. <laughs> Another one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, uh, this turf talk uh, moment is brought to you by. Not Scott's Turf Builder, but you should sponsor us, Scott's, because we do this every week, it seems. Um, There's a brand with the San Siro pitch. It's not awful, but it's certainly not pristine. And that's what I like about it. You come off that field with white socks, you're going to have mud and dirt on those white socks. And it's completely playable. It's whatever way when they renovated the stadium for the 90 World Cup, the, the sunlight just doesn't get in properly. And so you have these bare patches of mud. And um, it's not mud, really. It's just the pitch. It's 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 threadbare in parts. And it's never, this time of year, it's never good. Ever. It's just not a good field. But I love it because it's not a good field. And it's still perfectly safe to play on. There's no problems. But I, I turned the game on uh, midway through. And I went, huh. Eh, you know, this... There's reassurance in the fact that some things never change. <laughs> Seems very off-brand with you. Um, so you should be horrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, 
not great. <laughs> like the result for Tottenham is is not that bad. It's fine. It's not great. It's fine. Like they're you know for for some people they'll be considered favorites still to go through going home just needing to overturn a one goal deficit. You know can they can do that? But like it's just another to watch the game was to see just like another totally underwhelming performance. And it's funny because, you know, we talked before the game about their midfield dilemma, how they're missing so many key players in the midfield. Uh, Hoybier suspended, Basuma hurt, Bentoncourt done for the season. So you wind up with Skip and Sar, And they actually played really well. And, like, I guess you shouldn't be sh- shocked. I mean, Sar doesn't play much for Spurs, but, you know, he had a lot of league uh, games under his belt, and he went off to the goes off to the World Cup with Senegal and is, start, is a starter for them. So it shouldn't necessarily be shocking. He's only 20, uh, and he they they played great. Like, for whatever problems Tottenham had, no one is pointing at, the, at their central midfield duo and saying that that's it. The thing was, like, I talked about the other night, if they're going to win and overcompensate for some of these injuries, their best players have to be their best players. Like what we talked about with City before. De Bruyne scored. Holland scored. Grealish scored. Where are Son and Kulisevsky? Yeah. They just offered Son. So can we talk about Son for a second here? He's fallen off a cliff. I hate having this conversation because, God, do I love him. One of my all-time favorite players. Um, But, like, you know, like, you have a guy on your bench who costs 60 million and who is a like a starter for Brazil in Richarlison. So I understand like yeah, under other circumstances you give Hyungmin Son every opportunity to play his way out of this because you know what he's capable of doing and you know what he means to the club and how much the fans love him and support him. But like this isn't this isn't those situations. You went out and spent this money on a starter for Brazil. Like so right. How long are we going to sit here? Now, I know Richarlison was hurt for a lot of the season, but he's back now. So, like, I, I guess I'm talking about not not this game, but moving forward. I, I hate to say it. Like, I like Son much more than I like Richarlison just because he's been a part of huge success for Tottenham in this era. But, like, I, I don't think you – I just don't think you can keep doing this if you have ambition to finish top four and win an FA Cup and make a run in the Champions League. I mean, Richarlison is is a great player. And so if you didn't have him, sure, you, you let this roll on and you see if Son can work his way out of it. But you but it's different because you have somebody. Why did you buy him? So I, I I hate to say it, but I feel like Son is kind of giving them no choice. I don't think they want to do it, but I think I think it's time to make some kind of switch there because it's just we're deep into the season now and it's not yeah. working for him. It's not. Maybe some maybe he'll have he'll have another opportunity, I'm sure. Is you don't bench him permanently, but I think in terms of like what the preferred 11 is, I think it's time to try something different. And it brings me, honestly, it brings me no, no joy to say that I want it to work with him, but it's, it's become, it's just becoming too much now. He's just, you don't, you don't see him out there. Like he's not a, his name doesn't come up. He's not really a part of it. It's just, it's frustrating. He's he's running into blind alleys, giving the ball away. Yeah. Yeah. And and it it would be, it would be a sweet mercy to him to take him out of the side. It really would. I mean, he won't see it that way, nor no, should he. But sometimes that can be a reset, Andrew. You know, he's had a World Cup, fairly stressful, emotional World Cup, uh, long season before that. Get him out the side. Give him a rest. Uh, let me ask you, and we'll move off of this game. I don't have much more to say about no. it. But the last question I have to you, you know, as a as an impartial observer to this Tottenham season, this season feels so weird to me for them because 
if you just kind of look at it from afar, they're in the knockout stage of the Champions League. They're in, you know, they they're in the what is it now? The round of sixteen of the FA Cup. They're mm. in contention. They're fifth right now, which isn't terrible. They're in contention to finish top four. But like, it's all been just so meh. Like, if you look at the top eight of the Premier League, if we were to just roll through it, City, top of the table, resurgent, Arsenal, best season in years, United, they're back, Newcastle, wow, look, it's coming together much sooner than we thought, Spurs, meh, and then, like, keep going beyond them, Brighton, wow, amazing what they're doing, Fulham, unbelievable stuff, Brentford, holy crap, Tottenham are the only one where it's like, is that just me? I'm not wrong here, right? Like, it's it's just been so ordinary. Yeah, I mean, they've been... They've been inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from them. Uh, well, you actually do. They're bad. They kind of do, yeah. They're hard to watch. Really hard to watch. They concede a lot of goals. Yeah. They're not great in attack. I don't. I almost don't know how they're... Like, their season, like I said, pull back, and you look at it from afar, and it's like, well, it's actually been pretty good. I don't know how. I don't know how it's been uh, as good as it's been. Do you think it can, it can it can meh? It's way all all the way to a trophy somewhere. If they met, games? are they going to met their way to like an, an FA, FA Cup, Cup top four season, like their best season in in a, a generations? Like it's, hey. with all the great teams that Poch had, the Champions League final season, like they're going to met that would that would be them. But teams do met. Teams met all the time. Yeah, um, I mean Liverpool in a, a not totally different scenario. Met their way to a, a Europe, uh, excuse me, a Champions League victory in 2005. Yeah, true. You know, um, maybe they'll win the Met Fake Cup. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea had their Champions League final in one of their poor Met domestic years. seasons. Yeah. So, yeah, I get, yeah. I mean, look, you remain invested. It's better this than, you know, being at the other end, being Everton or somebody like that. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for this. Thousand percent. This version of Met. The Mefe um, Cup. <laughs> uh, let's see. Club Bruges and Benfica. Brugge. This one uh, this one feels all over, Andrew. I think uh, um, Bruges uh, losing at home in the manner that they did. I would think that this, uh, this isn't a halftime score that's going to be reversed. I would but agree I with you. Benfica has been one of the pleasant surprises of this tournament so far, even all through the group stage. We were talking about that, how they looked like, I mean, they were, they were playing like they should be considered a favorite. Yeah. That, that continued. They had one shot on target at home. That's uh, not going to cut it. No. Uh, Club Brugge and uh, João Mario and uh, David Neres with the goals, two of the, the star players there. Um, Important late one from Neres. You yeah. might've been able to trick yourself into thinking, okay, you never know. This sport's weird, but that second one made it feel insurmountable. Absolutely. Um, we have not talked about this at all, but um, Scott Parker is manager of Club Bruges. Yeah, that's true. What do you want to say? I mean, he's been there six and a half weeks. Um, I guess what I want to say is we're not watching the Belgian League an awful lot, but um, Ian King has a, a nice, nice piece on Football 365. Uh, I won't read from all of it, obviously, but it, it it really is worth a, a read in terms of of how he's been doing and his status there. And let me just read the, the final paragraph. There have been few signs of improvement in his team over the course of his six and a half weeks in Belgium so far. With a third of the season left, Club Bruges still have a lot to play for. 
The league title is certainly beyond them this season. They're already 20 points off leaders, Genk, mm-hmm. while even third-placed Royal Antwerp are eight points above them. But European qualification is important, and Parker will certainly feel as though he has still a lot to prove. But as his current charges return to that scramble, and with their chances of further progression in the Champions League looking slight to impossible, it does already feel like that, unlike that magnificent collection of cardigans, Parker and the Belgian Pro League might not be the most comfortable fit. Yeah, I, for, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying everything rests on like Scott Parker's entire career rests on on doing well here, but it kind of feels like it's an important juncture point in his in his managerial career. Did well at Fulham in terms of promotion. Ditto Bournemouth. Walks away in a bit of a strop from Bournemouth, not happy with player signings, uh, the squad that he had, etc. And then he goes to, to Belgium and takes on what seems like a great job to have a team in the Champions League, a team competing in a league that's winnable and that Bruges are one of the kingpins of, and it's not going that great. Uh, no. I I will lean on you for this. Yeah, I'm just, I, I. there's a lot to be said for, you know, we're always talking about English managers, English players, broadening their horizons and and leaving uh, the shores of Albion. Uh, but this is uh, one case where you're like, eh, maybe maybe you should have stayed at home and kind of hung around and played the Harry Redknapp, the young Harry Redknapp role where there's always a job for you and you just come yeah. in and, and, and you do well for a little bit before that, you That get... may still be true. I and mean, by the way, yeah. it's not the worst thing in the world for him to get knockout stage Champions League experience. It's not. I suppose it's not. But like you get knocked out of something that's not really your achievement and then you don't get the team back into the Champions League via the league yeah I don't know yeah. well, anyway that's what's going on in Belgium Andrew uh, let's see finally JJ rounding out this week in the Champions League Borussia Dortmund 1-0 over Chelsea good oh lord what an environment in that place as it always is but certainly these European nights they, they take it up a notch it seems um, and, and then and their supporters would despise Chelsea supporters. Like they would hate them. Oh my God, they're everything they wouldn't want. Ugh. Yeah. Fun game. Fantastic. Fun game. Yeah. One of, one of the goals of the tournament, too. Oh, um, Adiyami with the. Just for Enzo Fernandez, like World Cup winner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, British record transfer fee. <laughs> Just like gotta be feeling himself, like absolutely freaking humbled, humbled into the ground by that run. The <laughs> pace of Adiyami, the ball control, and Fernandez is like, no, no, no. Like he he doesn't know. Do I run backwards? Do I go and try? And he ends up just like getting nowhere. Just gets burned, absolutely toasted. Round the keeper, slots at home. I just want to say too, Butte. Like props to Adiyami for for all of it, but especially at the end. When Keppa charges out, dives at his feet, basically. Yeah. Like other players maybe would have, you know, how they, you can kind of leave a leg in to make sure that there's contact and you draw a penalty. Like other guys might have done that. And he was just like so of, of one mind there. It was, was. always going to, I'm scoring this goal come Listen, hell or high water. He, yeah. He was like, I've set a land speed record to get here. I'm not going <laughs> to fall over now. Just, yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant goal. But I must say, Chelsea were actually quite good in this game, and showed flashes 
you know, there's times when you see Joe Felix and times when you see Mudrick and it all comes together and it could be good, but they, but they don't finish chances. No, Uh, they they must drive their fans crazy. And like, you know, this all goes on Graham Potter's record. That's the problem. But like, the the thing is like, he can't score the goals for them, (laughs) you know, like, and and I think, and I think the performances are ticking up. They are getting better under Potter, but we know what this bloody game is like and what it's like at that top level. He needs a consistent run of good wins and he needs them quick. And these expensive dolts have to start hitting the net for him. Oh, ah, yeah, but like... I well, don't worry, was... Neymar will be there soon enough. <laughs> there was elements of like real misfortune though. Like the Koulibaly, the save, the goalkeeper saves, it parries it and it goes right, it goes right behind him. And I'm convinced it's in the net. And I'm sure most of the Westphalen stadium thought it was in the net. And one of the great clearances off the line from Emre Chan. Like, yeah. Just brilliant. Um, so yeah, another another finely poised game, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, we got a a bunch of these one nils that you know are heading back um that just feel like they, they have potential to be thrillers. So uh we'll see. But yeah, that's that's a frustrating one for Chelsea because you know, like Tottenham, it's like okay, Tottenham were probably a little fortunate for that one nil. Chelsea are, are going to leave that one feeling disappointed, I think, that they weren't able to get something out of that. That was because uh, they did have chances. Zhao Felix early on in that one from like nine yards out, it was all open in front of him. He skied it over the bar. Uh, you know, they had a, it felt like they had a bunch of those. They had a goal disallowed. Um, so, uh, but it should, as they go back to Stanford Bridge, it should be an exciting one. No yeah. Question about that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, let's see. I don't have too much else, JJ. Nope. We should mention that Jesse Marsh was, he was legitimately, we've come to find out legitimately in contention for the Southampton job. Uh, but Fabrizio Romano tweeted on Wednesday, negotiations between Jesse Marsh and Southampton collapsed as the contract length was one of the main issues. The American coach wanted a long-term deal. Um, I get that. So do I. I, I understand I- it. Like, especially, you know, obviously every manager wants that job security. Also too, he wants to know if this doesn't work and I and, and I get sacked again, that there's going to be a nice payout coming his way. So of course. I, I do understand all that, but oh man, like I don't know. There's just not many of these jobs. No. You have 20 Premier League jobs. It's the it's the elite league in the world right now. Here, here's where I fall on it. I think it's I, I'm split. So on 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 the, on on one hand, he's damn right to back himself. Now, do, does he have the resume? Probably not. What eight wins in in his entirety of his time at at Leeds? Yeah, I mean, he, look, he helped. He was he helped keep them up, right? You know, he he's had strong performances in the Champions League with Salzburg. Um, so like his his resume is fine. It's so par- it's not incredible, but like I think a club like Southampton in the situation they're in, I could see it. Like that so- makes sense to me. So part of me is like, good on you for backing yourself. The other part of me is Livia Soprano. I can't remember who she says it to, but someone says they wanted to do something when she shoots them down by going, oh, what makes you think you're so special? And I'm like, yeah, what are you, what are you playing at here? Take the short-term deal. These jobs aren't floating around. You can go through all the clubs you want, Jesse. You ain't getting a job. You've gone from one... Premier League team straight away within a matter of a week, 10 days into another and just take the job. I can't help but think if he'll, I mean, look, I, I don't know. His agent might be telling him 
stuff that we don't know. But boy, you're right. Like to to have to lose a Premier League job and then immediately fall into another one and turn it down essentially. Yeah. I don't know. And like, like I said, look, it's obviously not a great job. Like Southampton are, are not a good team right now. They're too young. They're very, very young. It's going to be hard for anyone to go there and look good. But like I, I said it the other night, like, I don't know. Nothing's expected of you. So you kind of, you kind of can't lose if you go there and they get relegated. Like, it's what was always going to happen. You're the third manager in one season there. Like it's not, they're not good for anyone, but like if you go there and they get relegated, but they play well, they, they, they fight. It, it's close. Like you win. Like, and like there's, it didn't, it doesn't feel to me like, yeah, like I understand it's not an appealing job right now, but like if you're Jesse Marsh and you're trying to rebuild your rep, maybe a little bit after getting fired from the previous job, I don't know. I think there's an opportunity there that maybe he's, maybe he's missing. Or maybe I'm so. maybe I'm just too optimistic. I, I mean, think so too. Um, I suppose the other story, Andrew, tonight was the uh, She Believes Cup, um, with uh, Mallory Swanson grabbing two goals to score for the United States and to beat Canada two 0 A can a Canadian team playing at this tournament under protest. Yeah, as and the U.S. A, women voicing their support for them. Yeah, they as did you would the expect inside uh, out training tops for the for the uh, warm-up to the game, uh, a protest that was first used by the U.S. women's national team about four or five years ago. And so it's a pay equity uh, dispute with Canada Soccer, who are just covering themselves in glory since the uh, since the start of this World Cup. Yeah, the, wow. The, the, the botched setup for the men in terms of their friendlies for qualifying, and then the uh, mess with John Herdman, uh, where it, he's almost declared he's going to New Zealand, that whole thing, and now just ongoing long-term dispute with the with the women's team. Just football administration is it must be run by the worst people. They just I don't know if they were ready for this this success. Like they're they're in the spotlight now, and it I don't know it doesn't it does not feel like they are they were prepared for this moment. No, at no. all, um, not really. But a, a good win for the U.S. women. Yes, um, you know a lot of you know a lot of obviously the the big names were featured in this one as this is a tournament that they they value and they're going to want to succeed down in uh, this one down in Orlando earlier tonight. Um, boy, I love that the first goal that they scored. I thought was beautiful. Alex Morgan playing it back to Swanson, who just smashed it uh, into the back of the net. So a uh, a good night for uh, for the U.S as they get this tournament started off on the right foot. I think the next game is Sunday, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a good start for them. I have to end the podcast, Andrew, with my celebrity story. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. So, briefly, I'm in uh, Williamsburg. My cousin is over. He's do- He did a, a cocktail uh, pop-up. At the Dead Rabbit, famous bar in uh, on Water Street in New York City, in the Fidei, for um for the Dead Rabbit's ten year anniversary. So he's over with his uh, his girlfriend, their baby. My cousin Lisa's over as well. So we we spend a little bit of time together in Williamsburg, and we're walking towards a bar, all of us together. And I'm just going into McCarran Park, mm-hmm. and I'm pushing the buggy. The baby is behind us, like. Um, 
the baby, her father's holding her. And then I start doing this little dance. So I kind of, I swivel around with the, with the, with the buggy. There's a pointed toe kick. There's a bit of jazzy hands. There's a whole dancing thing going on. The bit just to entertain the baby. And then the baby tries to run past me the t- and I grab her and then she laughs and there's a whole thing. I pay no attention to anything. It's just me goofing around. So I pick up uh, Birdie, the wee baby. We cross the road. We go into McCarran Park and I've walked in and maybe we're, it's maybe five minutes since we were just outside it. And um, a friend of my cousin who I've just met for the first time, guy called Brett, lovely guy, I thought. Brett goes, oh, Kieran Culkin found you uh, amusing. Huh. Excuse me. Uh, Kieran Culkin, he was laughing at you there when you were doing that dance just outside the park. What? And now, if if you know me right now, there's there's no actor in America, comedic, uh, straight actor, uh, drama actor of any sort that I find more engaging than Kieran Culkin in succession as Roman Roy. He's bloody amazing. Tell me then. Just kind of maybe subtly point him out that he and and you know me, Andrew, you know me. When I meet anyone even vaguely famous, I immediately imagine us holidaying together. Oh, yeah. When you were in that Liverpool box at Yankee Stadium. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's so funny. You say Kieran Culkin, like of all the people that, you know, he's become like legitimate friends with Brownshire. What? <laughs> Yeah, they're in like the same friend circle with their kids, I guess. Uh, oh, I, I need to be introduced. Well, you, hey, you it, laughed it's at possible. Me briefly. You laughed at me briefly in the park as you walked by. Send Brownshire a text and, and, and try to like fix a situation where you just kind of be hopping by and see if he remembers you. Oh, but I just love the, the scene in uh, where he buys the wrong football club. So it's hearts and hibs. Um, that is father, Logan Roy. I haven't seen this. You're ruining a lot of things. You're not. This is just one little bit. So, you know, they're all, it's a constant battle for, for the father's affection. And definitely not based on any major family we know of in media. <laughs> definitely not. Um, and uh, and so he buys he buys hearts. <laughs> Even though Logan Roy tells him later, I'm a, I'm a hip supporter. So he bought the wrong clubs. So... <laughs> He's watching them train uh, on on the sideline. He knows, like, um, Roman Roy knows nothing about sport. None of it. So he's invited into the circle. <laughs> and uh, uh, here's the owner, Roman Roy, if, if uh, you'd like to say a few words to the lads. Yeah, just, and he says something, I'm paraphrasing, just go and win, you lovely bastards. That's uh, it, like. Yeah. It's so awkward. And he just adjusts his glasses and, and walks off. Brilliant actor, absolutely brilliant, and he's um, made for that role. He inhabits the character in all his weird foibles and kind of um, neuroses and um, sexual proclivities as well. Just mm. brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I love that show. I can't wait for it to come back, and I'm disappointed that Brett didn't tell me already. But now I guess I've got an in with Brownshire. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think Kieran Culkin was fuller in Home Alone too, the bedwetter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thought that was important to mention. It is. Yeah. I'm sure in the, in in the canon of his work, it's it's right there. Well, if we're going to round off a podcast that began with art, I think it needs to end with bedwetting. <laughs> it comes full circle. Uh, hey, this was fun. What a weekend! What a week this has been for this sport. As the Champions League is back, the Europa League as well, and uh, 
I mean, this tunnel race is, it is full go on and it continues this weekend. Um, Should be another fun weekend for the sport. We'll of course be back with you right after the weekend to recap all of it and look ahead to another fun week in this sport because the football goes on and on forever. Uh, Hey, this was fun, JJ. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 